Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. This week's episode is brought to you by CoQ, a fresh approach for personal finance management that's designed to make tracking your money simple and intuitive. CoQ is available for both Mac and iPhone in the app stores. Both apps sync via iCloud, so does your so your data stays consistent whether you're at home or on the go. Its innovative smart tagging system allows you to describe your financial transactions in a way that's meaningful to you, without worrying about buckets, categories, or hierarchies. CoQ has powerful reports that show a personalized financial picture and real insight into how you're spending your money. It also has smart lists, kind of like smart playlists, but for your transactions. You may have seen CoQ recently featured on the Mac App Store. Both apps are on sale for half off. Usually the price is $29.99 for Mac and $4.99 for iPhone, but they're on sale for $14.99 for Mac and $1.99 for iPhone. To learn more, visit CoQAppApp.com. Bandwidth for November is brought to you by MindNode, an intuitive mind mapping app for Mac and iOS. Whether you're brainstorming for your next project, organizing your life, or planning your vacation, MindNode lets you collect, structure, and expand your ideas. Integrated iCloud sharing means you always have your mind maps with you. Just visit MindNode.com. All right, I'm honored to be joined this week by David Wayne, one of the hardest working guys in comedy. He's a writer, director, actor, and he has credits ranging from The State to The Daily Show to Children's Hospital with more appearances than I could possibly list in between. Hi, David. How's it going? I, in turn, am honored to be here, Brett. It's very exciting for me because I like the kind of stuff you talk about. Well, great. <laughs> this, this should be a great show. We can just uh, talk about each other's work all the whole time. We could just stop now because it's obviously a great show. <laughs> um, so uh, what are you up to lately? Um, I just got to Los Angeles because for the last few years, every winter in December and January is when we shoot our show, Children's Hospital. Um, we do 14 episodes over the course of 28 days, which if you know about shooting stuff is very, very fast. And it's, uh, it's like fun, cheap, fast production. And it's, it's really quite a blast. Would you say fast, cheap, and easy? I would say fast, cheap, and hard, (laughs) (laughs) really hard. But, but I live in New York, uh, but I, I come to LA a lot to do different things and, I came here with my whole family uh, for two months plus to do this project, and I just got here yesterday. And my wife, Zandi Hartick, the great actress, is one of the cast members of Children's Hospital. And Children's Hospital, for people that haven't seen it, um, that's it, it's a short – you use a, a, a unique format for that, don't you? It's, it's a 15-minute it's a show on Adult Swim, which is the nighttime block of the Cartoon Network, which is on cable TV which is in your house. And um, it, it's a 15-minute show, but it really, the way we write it and conceive of it is it's really an hour-long medical drama with the same number of scenes and the same amount of everything that would be in an hour-long episode, but we didn't just squeeze it into 15 minutes. And, and, then, and of course, it's not a drama. It's a very stupid, silly, spoofy kind of show. It, is, it spoofs quite a few shows, but in particular, some, uh, some medical dramas. Which I actually have never seen. I think one of the original inspirations for Rob Corddry, whose idea was, was Grey's Anatomy and shows like that. But um, I just never watched those shows and I didn't bother to because I figure I would bring a different perspective of ignorance, oh, which actually, I think has informed a lot of my work. <laughs> that perspective, and, and I've, I've paid 
uh, a lot of attention to the idea in recent years, but the idea of going into something with no idea what your competition or or your peers have done or are doing opens so many doors. It gives you so much creative freedom. On some level, you have to have blinders because you can't possibly, nor would you ever want to have an encyclopedic idea of everything that everyone else is doing. It would just, it would, it would paralyze. Unless your goal was to rip everybody off. I suppose. I know that um, Sam Mendes, did you see Skyfall? Mm, oh, not yet. No. It's, uh, have you heard of it? It's a James yes. Bond movie. Yes, I'm familiar. I just want to figure <laughs> out where we are here. Right. Um, Sam Mendes said he he he's a huge James Bond fan. It's a huge part of his growing up in England, and that's one of the reasons one, that he wanted to do this movie. But he did not go back and watch any of the other Bond movies because he wanted to pull from his own heart and soul what what's important about Bond without actually going and watching them again, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it sounds it sounds scary. Like when you're going to making a movie in a franchise that big. I know. But it it does. It works. I think Well, I uh, thought about it and then I realized he had the safety of there's 700 people working on the movie. So, <laughs> if he was exactly copying something from another episode, I'm sure somebody would have pointed out or <laughs> You would you would hope they're in an environment where it's okay to point that out. Yeah. Although sometimes it's in, it's amazing how you would think that's the case, but there's often not that big a number of people that actually feel the um, the right to speak up about certain things. And you wonder how really dumb plot twists get through or, <laughs> or horrible continuity errors in movies and TV. And sometimes it's because the three or four people that actually, you know, weighed in on the script didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the people who read it and noticed it didn't bother telling anybody. And you worked, uh, you did, you worked with the daily show. Were you just a correspondent or were you also writing for that? I was on the early, early iteration of the daily show before John Stewart. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you like were, saying, you were quite a young man then. Um, yeah, I was a young man and I was, it was basically the daily show at that time was, it was also the, it was like the first few weeks of the daily show that I was on. And I pitched to them a series of shorts called the Maplewood Minute, which were like Hollywood Minute, uh, gossipy reports from a tiny little town where nothing was happening in New Jersey. And it had nothing to do with what the current Daily Show is. They were just experimenting with format at the time and trying all different things. And my my bits were completely fictional. And so I was the on-camera correspondent. I just ran around with what was then a high eight camera and uh, <laughs> shot these pieces. Okay. Um, but you've, uh, you've, you've been writing your entire career all the way from I stand up comedy through sketch comedy, through uh, shows like the state and uh-huh. groups like Stella. And are you, and you're writing now, uh, do you, you write more or act more in, in uh, children's hospital? On children's I'm, my biggest job is that of executive producer, which means that, I am, along with two other people, Rob Corddry and John Stern, I'm overseeing the entire creative process of making the show, which means, uh, oh boy, <laughs> going to turn that off. <laughs> you, have, uh, you have background music. <laughs> um, so that means that I oversee, I, you know, we, we decide who's going to write the scripts, including ourselves. We decide who's going to be doing the directing and who's in the cast and all of the creative decisions. And then we, basically 
in a very detailed way, kind of rewrite all of the scripts uh, for each episode. And so it is it is a writing heavy job, um, even though I only am the credited writer of record on some of the episodes. And then I'm also a director on some of the episodes. And then I do also occasionally uh, jump in front of the camera and have a guest role either as my character, uh, Rabbi Jewy McJuju, or because the show has a lot of meta qualities, I often play myself as the director. You are actually the second rabbi we've had on the show. <laughs> I, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm not a rabbi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's see. When you're, when you're uh, brainstorming for these myriad projects that you've written for, um, yes. How do you, how do you, I'm kind of jumping into a productivity kind of mode here, but how do you, uh, (laughs) how do you collect the, (laughs) how do you collect the ideas that you have? I assume they, they don't hit you when you, they don't, they're not always ever present when you sit down to, well, with the intention of writing. When I have just like an idea, that's just like, Hey, what if there was a sketch about this or a movie about that? Or what about a character like that? I do write it down in this long text file called ideas um, that is in reverse order. So that the most recent one is always on the top. And that I actually started when I was in my early twenties and I'm now heading toward my mid forties. So it's a very, very long text file and I don't erase it or process it or do anything with it. It's just a, a dump. And then how do you, how do you, uh, well, you must process it at some point to recover. Well, I look through it sometimes, but honestly, I don't, it's not really my main place. I, it's, I work from at all because weirdly or not, most of the projects I've done have organically evolved in some way where it's not like I just sat around and said, Hmm, what could, what could a project be? Maybe I'll do this. It's, it's often been just a, you know, conversation with friends and then something evolves or like our series Stella on Comedy Central was an outgrowth of a nightclub show we had done before. And that was an outgrowth of something else. And everything kind of, you know, we feels like the obvious next thing to do in some weird way. Although two of the movies I did were because Ken Marino and I sat in a room for a week. We locked ourselves up and said, okay, we're, we're going to take this week and come up with a movie idea, outline it and write a first draft in the course of this week and like just work 12 hours a day and make ourselves crazy and get that done. And in those cases, that is sometimes when I would jump into that text file and, and just look through ideas and say, maybe something about this. What about this? What about this? And what if this happened? And then Wanderlust and my movie, The Ten, emerged from those kinds of sessions. Do you find that just taking the note just putting it in that text file means that you'll remember it without having to resort to the text file. No, I'm the opposite of that. I write everything down because I absolutely forget it. The second I rewrite it down. Okay. And I, I mean, I I think it's not necessarily a good thing. I've, I've probably, um, weakened the muscle that remembers things because I have so systematically written everything down. So I keep, very detailed to-do lists and calendars and lists of things because I know that I forget everything. <laughs> I am that way too. And I, w- I was discussing with my wife uh, this weekend that uh, 
like she's concerned that things like a GPS, like not having to open up a map and see where you're actually going uh, means that you're less conscious of of the directions and you're not uh, you don't really know where you're going. And my counter to that is that because you have the technology that just gets you there and and you can generally depend on having that technology, you're suddenly freed up to notice everything else on the trip without having to worry about having this big map open in front or a navigator telling you where to go. Like to me, I I see both sides. Yeah. I mean, truthfully for the most part, and I feel this way about a lot of technology, I'm with you because knowing about the larger geographical makeup of the place you're in is not the goal today. The goal today is to get to the post office and when you want to learn about the land you live in, you can do that on your own. Yeah, I mean, as a separate activity, maybe, you know. However, yeah. I, when I'm driving around in L.A., I don't drive in New York, but when I drive around L.A., sometimes I think to myself, I just turn off the GPS because I'm like, I know where to go. And it, there, it does feel good to just not be looking at a screen for two seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And I, I, get, I get my wife's concern with the... Uh overabundance of technology and our dependence on it. But I also think that anytime that you turn over something like say, remembering every idea you ever have to, uh, you know, whether it's a notebook or a computer or whatever, like that just, it frees up a certain amount of mental processing that. Oh yeah. Well, that's the GTD. Yeah, exactly. Kernel theory, right. Just like just by writing it down that it takes it out of your the stress of your current brain, which I, that, I completely agree with that. And, and that's why I'm obsessive about writing stuff down. I just then I don't have to think about it until it comes back. Her major concern that came up later in the conversation and not to rehash the entire entire conversation, but her major and you, concern. And, and if it's an interesting conversation, then please rehash it. <laughs> her major concern was that people wouldn't reuse that additional mind space that they freed up that everyone would just get stupider. And I think that may be possible in, in some cases, but I know it's not for me. I just think we live in a different world and you have to mostly accept it. Like we, and it, and part of it involves, we have new responsibilities that we didn't have before, like creating space and time to do nothing, which wasn't such a hard thing to do before there was all this stuff, you know, and unplugging from your devices from time to time just for the sake of unplugging was never a problem before. Now it's something else that we have to do. But, the, but what you get in return is this incredible world of, of richness that I think comes from having technology to learn more all the time, to do more, to achieve more. And it's not about just amassing volume, which I, which I could see is it could be a trap, but it's just about you, could, you just have more opportunities, you know. People now with the, with the internet, you can meet people who are interested in the same things you are from wherever they are in the world. That just so many barriers go away, and that's got to be a good thing. Absolutely, I would never have met you if it weren't for technology. Exactly. Well, I mean, Twitter itself is just incredible. I mean, my wife uh, was a huge judgmental. You know, why do you do that? Why would you ever go do Twitter? That's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> and then, literally, she's like, "All right, just just show me how it works. Just show me one time." And then, within twenty four hours, she was obsessed. And gone, and she's gone way beyond me. She knows everybody in the world basically now, <laughs> and is having conversations back and forth with all of these writers and comedians and people on Twitter. And I'm like, wow. 
Yeah. Um, how do you do, you, you mentioned earlier, um, clearing the space to do nothing. Yes. Are, are you capable of doing nothing? I'm, it's very hard. I've definitely created a, a human being in myself that is not, uh, doesn't have a strong proclivity to do nothing. And, and I think like so many of us, you know, when you, when there's a, when there's a free moment in any moment in time, whether you're in the bathroom or you're walking down the hall or you just have a free moment to wait for something, you end up, um, uh, opening up your phone yes. and doing something with it. You know, whether it's checking your email or check Twitter or check your newspaper and it's still, it's, it's hard. And I think that the only way to, to really have a moment of quiet, which I do think is important is to really unfortunately is to put that in your calendar or in your, make it your priority. And to, I'm, I'm just starting to really try meditating, which has been really hard, but really great. I've really enjoyed it. I can't speak much about it cause I'm know nothing about it, but I, so far I've really enjoyed it and it seems like it's a really helpful thing. And I also think just like I'm trying to do a thing where when I go out with my family, where I know any emergency with my family will be right in front of me, then I try to leave my phone at home. I like that. I've probably done that a total of twice so far. Yeah. I'm I'm that way. Like my wife and I, for a while, we, I don't have a a family per se, but when we were out for dinner, I would attempt to like, just turn my phone off and just have dinner. But eventually it got to a point where we both realized that after you've been waiting for the server for six, seven minutes and conversation has a lull, (laughs) it's probably okay to just quick check your email and stuff. We don't mind. I don't Um, think it's a judgment call at all. I don't think it's a judgment thing at all. It's not about like, is it okay? Is it not okay? I just know for myself, it just, there's just some balance at some point to be like, okay, it can get a little crazy. Cause most of us these days, I think you're, you, you, you're dealing with your phone, then you switch to your iPad, then you switch to your laptop, then you go to the TV and then you back to the phone and it just, and then all two, two, three, four at once. You know? Definitely. My editor, um, Jamie Gross, who I've been working with on this feature film I've, I've been working on, um, will often work 12, 13, 14 hour days in front of the screens editing and her favorite thing to do uh, as soon as she's done work is watch television. And she and her husband, who's her assistant editor, watch, you know, hours and hours of TV every night. <laughs> um, so, you know, TV is very, very passive. Like TV I can see, that it's being a, I can see it's a totally different shift of mind, but it's definitely like staring at a screen all day and then staring at a screen all night. And, you know, I did read a book once that said just the actual notion of staring at a screen because of the physics of it, it it does something to you that you need to take a break from it although i think the retina screens are actually a totally different beast because i think that depending on the the size of the pixels and how fast the um how fast they move or something the refresh actually refresh rate thank you (laughs) actually is a huge effect on on how it's much healthier, I think, to look at a red screen than to uh, a, a traditional screen. Well, there you just justified my expenses. There you go. Well, I, mean, I, I just yeah. got the, the Retina MacBook Pro and I, I can't believe I even waited one second. I, I, it's just incredible. Is it uh, our most? I don't have one yet. Are most applications that you use at a point where they don't look horrible because you have the extra pixels? The only one, every application looks beautiful. The only one that doesn't is Final Draft, 
which is the de facto screenwriting application, which is horrible. Really, for $200 on the App Store, it's a horrible, horrible looking application? It hasn't been updated in at least two years. And it is absolutely, it's garbage. And I don't know what's, I've heard that something's up there, something, but it is the industry standard. Pretty much every screenplay or TV script or anything is written in final draft. And it's the most un-Mac-like, unmodern application that, it, that there can be. And I, my list of complaints about it is in the dozens. Well, and you know about this, but a group of us are working on replacing the need for it with uh, a basic text uh, markdown-ish yes. syntax. Which I think is so great. And the, the thing is that I... Yeah, I want I, I I haven't done it yet, and I'm curious. I feel like I have to wait for something. I don't know. I mentioned to my uh, crew here, like, let's just write. Here, can I explain? We we write. We work so much in Google Docs in our in our uh, children's hospital process. Sure. Um, and if we all wrote our scripts in Fountain. Fountain is the language, right? Yes. Then we could write them on Google Docs and it would be awesome because then you don't, there, there's no, so, but that's not what we do. We write them in final draft, which we then have to convert to a format that can be put up on a Google Doc. Then we all note it and then it goes, then you have to just sort of read the notes and hand convert it, you know, and then go back to your final draft file, which is the actual script file, which can't be shared because final draft doesn't have any, they, they have these so-called collaborating features that don't work at all. <laughs> Proprietary non-version format. So we have a very evolved, I think, you know, because at least two out of the three of the partners are kind of geeks for the stuff. So we have a pretty evolved system of how we do all this stuff, but it's, um, it's got that one big flaw in my mind. And I mean, and you've been using plain text since uh, what's it, twenty years now? Well, <laughs> I guess um, everyone uses plain text to some degree. I mean, I, I I became familiar with notational velocity and NVALT and and um, that sort of uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like the the, the new interest of play te- in plain text over the last few years. I guess probably two years ago, three years. Ago. I don't even remember when. But yes, now I do everything. Pretty much my whole NVLT is my default application in front of me when I am working, pretty much. And that's where I put everything. Um, I was brainstorming an app with, uh, with another developer, a very uh, uh, fundamental developer in the plain text movement. Um, can we call it a movement? Is that yes. fair? Plain text movement. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it has a name. Is it, and, a and grassroots, are you the, grassroots uprising. Are you the king of it? I would no. say maybe <laughs> some, some people have told me that I am, but I would definitely pass the title on to a few. other. I people. definitely have some, I have some, some topics to bring up about it, but finish what you're saying. <laughs> well, we we're brainstorming this app that, that would bring uh, kind of Google doc, Microsoft word kind of uh, collaboration where you can see the changes other people have made with versioning yeah. and everything. And and bring that to plain text, and and it would work with with languages like Fountain and and restructured text and Markdown, 
I think it, I think it has serious potential in a lot of areas because that's Dude, the one thing that, that's really that's missing. That's what I'm waiting for. That's exactly what I'm waiting for because the problem is you can't or, you know, the problem there's there's several th- Google Docs is in my opinion pretty amazing in most ways because, you know, someone can be typing, you're seeing them typing as you're typing and there's never a conflict, you know, because it's just always it's all live and it's all constantly updated and it's one document. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there are conflicts all the time when you have a Dropbox sync of text files. Sure. I have them. And I don't know, maybe you have ways of avoiding them, but I find like I, I'm constantly creating conflicts in Notesy on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, but so anyway, if there was a screenplay collaborative Google Doc thing, that would just be killer. And there basically is if you if we can make fountain work, then then you've got it. Um, but my big problem with plain text or my big question is the, the part of the problem for me is I'd like to see a little bit of formatting as I'm writing. It's part of my creative process. Like I want to see, I want to make this bold and make this a little bigger and make this, uh, underlined and make this italic and, you know, make this smaller, maybe make this another color. And it's basically like, what I'm describing is what I would think of as RTF, right? Right. Yeah. And that's rich text. Yeah. It's rich text. And that's what I, that's what Google docs basically is. You can, you can write say an outline for something in Google docs and you know, you can use your own way of emphasizing things. Like I'm like to make this heading. It doesn't have to be a system. It doesn't have to be anything formal, but you can say, I'm going to make this big black so that people really look at that or I'm looking at it as I'm writing it. It's part of how I like to see things. So I, I'm still having trouble bringing Mark down into my life because I don't want to look at it on another screen over there. I want to just be looking at it bold and italic in front of me. You know what I mean? So have you seen, uh, have you seen folding text? I've heard of folding text. Folding text is, uh, it's, it's based on Node.js, um, I think, if I recall. But it it does give you inline formatting. So if you make something bold, you see it bold on the screen. But what it's storing is actually just Markdown. Um, right. And is that is text the same thing? Text, yes. That just came out uh, is is exactly the same concept where you're seeing your you're seeing the emphasis, not the Markdown, but right. you're storing it in a plain text format that has the longevity and interoperability that Markdown right. has. Um, as far as like getting into like multiple font sizes and colors and everything, uh, what you, the only way to really, uh, achieve that in plain text is with, um, a, a semantic markdown, a markup that goes beyond the limits of markdown. Like markdown right. is very intentionally limited. I understand that. And I understand to, to a degree, I understand the reasons why, but for example, on our TV show, we have five people collaborating on average on a particular document. The actual document is written in black text and each person's comments are in a different color. So you can easily know who's speaking without having each person having to write their initials or it becomes very ugly and hard to follow. But if you just see, oh, there's a chunk of red. That means John said that. Chunk of blue means Rob said that. And it's a very effective way for us to do notes um, collaboratively online without having to sit in a room together. Right. Well, have you ever seen Ulysses? Yes. That's that's the the online screenplay. 
thing, no, right? No, no, that's um, it, it's kind of it was for a while. I think um, it's supposed to be competition for Scrivener. Uh huh. But uh-huh. it ended up it, they're they're revamping it entirely for an upcoming version. But the current version allows for you to define your own semantic tags. That would be like you person one, person two, person three, and then use those tags and display them with the like the the rendering that you want to, but store them in the text as just very semantic tags that you would define. Interesting. Um, that has the potential to do that, but it doesn't necessarily provide something that's easily passed on uh, outside of your own semantic definitions for that. Right. It wouldn't mean See, what- a lot. What works great in our Google Docs thing is someone who's new to our process doesn't need any education. You just say, okay, look at this document and any comments you have, write them in yellow. And sure. then and you can set up a text expander so that you, you, know, you can automatically just type in your color. And then we also – and the text expander gives a date stamp. So I can look at a document and very quickly scan through and see what are comments that Rob Corgi made today. Um, the only thing that I – one of the many things I wish Google Docs did that it doesn't is then collapse things like a like a like an outlining program would, um, which there is no outlining on Google Docs. There's only documents and spreadsheets. I'm um, going to make this happen for you. I promise. I have Rob, some real issues here. <laughs> I promised Rob uh, last year, MacWorld, that I was going to flesh out Fountain support and marked and and get him something truly worthy of screenwriting. And well, uh, I have a. I also have this larger vision about filmmaking in general, which is that all the, the, from from screenwriting all the way to final finishing on editing, it should be the same. It should be a file like a text file, basically that can be read by every part of the process. And like the so many of the soft piece of software that are used in the filmmaking process don't speak to each other. Right. They constantly have to be hand converted from the one thing to the next, the next. So they would take a screenplay and then it's printed out as a PDF or a piece of paper. And then that doesn't translate to what the script supervisor on the set is using is a different set of software. And then the uh, post-production and the camera reports are a different set of software. And then the editing is another software. And then the finishing is another software. And the sound is another software. And they don't even speak to each other. Yeah, that is problematic. And, and unnecessary. I Sorry, agree. Sorry, you're getting me all hyper. It's not, <laughs> not entertaining. It's just like upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about your blood pressure. Yeah, um, yeah it would be awesome even even if you had to work around all of the existing applications and create one format that then had one application that could then speak to all of the kind of yeah. satellite required applications, like something that could export to uh, Final Draft and and export to you know whatever application. I had Josh Helfrich on last week, and he's working uh, as a music video director, mm-hmm. and he talked about how the scripts are like all the uh, actors on set are given iPads. Oh yeah. I heard about that. I heard that show. I heard. And yeah. And like, uh, and like scripts could be instantly updated and modified for everybody without any, you know, process in between. Well, I mean, certainly that's the same basic idea as a Google doc. Assuming, assuming everyone has like Google drive on their iPad and has instant access to it. Yeah. Right, right, right. But yeah, the the idea of uh, of annotation and uh, and comments definitely something that uh, that I and a, and a couple other people are are seriously working on right now because it is it's kind of the missing piece in in plain yeah. text right now. I mean, basically, 
it's perfect for my own notes on everything and my own, you know, like the way I, I keep my envy alt is just like perfect, perfect for everything that's internal to myself. And then as soon as I'm collaborating with other people, I basically almost immediately switch over to Google Docs. And so all of my work is spread between Google Docs and NVALT and then when necessary, Final Draft. So is everything duplicated in one or the other? Like, do you have an original format in, say, NVALT that gets copied out to Google Docs and then copied back? Or is it actually, is there like a diaspora? It's sort of, I'm trying to keep it separate, like keep things. So for, uh, that's what, that's where it starts to get confusing. And I wish they were more molded, uh, merged together. For example, if I'm writing my own outline for an episode of the show, I would just do it in text or maybe, you know, an NVLD or in another, in another, uh, text editor, but because I'm going, I know I'm going to share it and get notes on it. I'll just write it in Google Docs in the first place, because I don't want to have, I don't want to be trying to keep track of which place has which version of which file. That's exactly what I don't want to waste my time thinking about. I get it. And so, yeah, I just, I things that I have, I know that are ever going to really be hugely co- collaborating. Uh, I just, I just keep them in Google Docs. Well, I, I promise that. As I formulate my next big plan, <laughs> that will be uh, that will be a consideration. Thus, why I'm on this podcast today. You're just here to use me, <laughs> pretty much. But here, <laughs> let me ask you this: Actually, I feel like at one point, did did NVLT used to show bold and italic, and now it doesn't? Uh, well, see, like notational velocity, the original uh-huh. uh, does have a rich text mode. Right. And we are working to kind of remove that um, from NVL just so there's no confusion so that, you know, you're working in Markdown, but you can flip it over to a rich text mode. The problem being you're storing your files in RTF format, which aren't as as compatible across systems as the text file would be. See, my I would argue that RTF, while not as old as text is still pretty universal and has been around for decades. Right. Right. But so if you, if you go, you know, into terminal and you cat, like if you, if you display an RTF file, you're going to get a lot of non-human readable garbage. And, and that our, our goal is kind of to make something that should technology regress back to the early days of AT&T Unix machines, you would still be able to read all of your notes. I know it's extreme, but I see. Yeah, I exactly. To me, I would rather take that risk that for the rest of my lifetime, I can read an RTF file and not have to look at asterisks all the time. I'm pretty sure people thought they'd be reading word perfect files for a long time, though. Right. But they they can't. But (laughs) that's another question is. I have old, old, old files from old random word processes. Are they gone? Is there nothing I can do? There, no, there are conversion services online for just about everything you can imagine. WordStar, right. Word, WordPerfect. Uh, I used um, Right Now a lot. I don't even know that one, but I'd be willing to bet if you Google for it, you'll find a converter. But so here's, so here's the thing. <laughs> Why are there no zero out of, there's thousands of text editors on iOS, which you have so <laughs> wonderfully cataloged. Why are there none that deal with RTF? Because RTF isn't text. But why are there 
There are, there, I should say, there are, there are some editors that do it. I have excluded them intentionally from like iOS or iText editors spreadsheet. Right. Um, there are several though that will do both plain text and RTF. Like I would give anything, for example, to make something bold in my NVL on my laptop and then it's still bold when I open it up on my phone. Yes. So that, <laughs> that, that can actually be done now. If you flip from Markdown to rich text format and you open it in I'm trying to remember that there was one that just came out. Um, I'll email you if I, if I uh, dig the name up. Um, but it, it handles RTF as easily as it handles text. And um to, yeah, because like if, we have syntax highlighting built into a version of NVL that's not public right now. Mm-hmm. And basically it, it does that. Like if you bold it, you still see the asterisk, but you see the emphasis as well. It's, it's like, in, standard, like in ByWord. Yeah, exactly. Standard syntax highlighting as you type. Um, but but like you said, it, when you view that markdown file anywhere else, you're probably not going to have that same emphasis. Right. Um, not at least in the editor version. Are there iOS markdown text editors that just show it to you as a live preview, like you're saying that texts. I can't think of any that actually deal with markdown that way, but if you're willing to work in RTF, then yeah, you could build a system around that. Oh my God, my, my mind's, uh, I'm already confused, but yes, I, I hear you. <laughs> I'm a little confused too, but, um, you know, we're brainstorming. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I'm going to jump in to our second sponsor. I'm excited about that. This one is exciting. Um, If you use stock, use stock? Stock photos. photos. Do all the time, actually. You ever been to shutterstock.com? I have. Um, I don't remember. I honestly don't remember which is which, but I bet you can tell me a little bit about shutterstock.com. Well, they have... uh, they have over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. And you can start your search at shutterstock.com to find the perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Does that ring a bell? Yes, that sounds really great. <laughs> Shutterstock. Shutter, I would say of all of the, the the services that do something like what shutterstock.com does, shutterstock.com is the very best. Absolutely. They uh, they give you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. And you can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. And if you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that, too. Ev- were you about to say something? No, I'm just I'm I'm so I'm thrilled to hear this. You took a deep breath. Sounds like a good place. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new because they had 10,000 new images every day. That is a lot per day. Let me tell you something. Next time that I sign on to the internet, I'm going to fire up uh, my browser and head on over to the Shutterstock.com website. You're making this way too easy. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, it's more affordable than you think. With no extra charge for large files, just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-res images. Just take what you need. Uh, You can easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. There's your collaboration right there. Yep. And you can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. There's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and want to run it on print or swag for your trade show, they can get you an enhanced license. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. 
If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get a dedicated account rep who will answer any question. They also have 24-hour support during the week. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com. No credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use offer code DANSENTME11 and get 30% off of any package. That's a good deal. It sounds, I would say, I'm gonna, I have to revise what I said, and this sounds like maybe the best website on the internet. <laughs> I know that's strong talk. Yeah, I have no response to that. That's such a bold statement. Well, let's see what the other responses are later, and then we'll see if it still holds true. Do you pay a lot of attention to uh, to the responses? To the no, but you... to the other the other sponsors later. Oh, okay. I'm saying. I thought you said responses. I thought maybe you gauged no. your your uh, your writing on the reaction to your shows, which I think would be a, a mistake, wouldn't you? Well, weirdly, Children's Hospital. For example, uh, we won an Emmy this year, which mm-hmm. is incredible. The, the ratings have been very good for for you know the network that it's on. Uh, it's by it's, we're in our fifth season. It's by all um, accounts of success. There's only one place that reviews it each week, which is the AV Club. So this guy is basically the only real feedback we ever get. <laughs> Your only critic. So he has more power than he realizes. But we <laughs> we try to just keep our own. Um, uh, what do you call this thing in the back of the boat? Rudder. Rudder? Rudder? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I don't know anything steer, about boats. Creatively. Yeah, I don't know. Nice. I know, I know there's a stern and a, and a, and a starboard. Our yeah, which is boat. which? Starboard? What's the other one? The port is right. Port. I think. Oh, no, port is left. So starboard must be right. And the stern is the back and the port is the front. No, is it, I don't The bow is the <laughs> Sorry. The bow is the front. Oh, mark that. Uh, 42 minutes in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw a U-boat this weekend. Great. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I, I asked on Twitter what I should do while I was in Chicago. And I think 90% of the responses were the Museum of uh, Science and Industry. Oh, yeah, I ha- it's great. I, I agree with that. I went there and I did the tour of the U-505 that was captured during World War II. And it was truly I, even even if the display itself weren't already spectacular, the presentation of it was just amazing. Oh, that sounds really great. It, it was. And then I met we, Leonard Cohen. I took my son to the uh, Intrepid uh, in New York, which is a giant um, fighter ship, uh, aircraft carrier yeah, with planes. And there's also a submarine next to it. And it, it's all from the 50s, I think. And it's just it was incredible. And they, yeah. also have this, they have the space shuttle on it now. That's indoors. It's a boat in the water. Yeah. Okay, that's and then what you I thought. Can, you can go in it, and you can. Didn't be on Stephen top of Colbert? It. Isn't that the one he broadcast from? For probably, I'm pretty sure he did a. Sh- yeah, I have two small kids, so the TV. I don't get to see that much TV. I understand. Yeah. Um, let's jump into our top three picks. All right. Would you like to begin, or shall I? Wait, I have two more. I have a couple more questions. Okay. okay. I have to ask. I have to ask. Just your opinion on this. Yes. Because you talked a little bit last week about global hotkeys. Yeah. But I still have not under- found or gotten an answer to how do you know where your what you've set your global hotkeys are without checking every single application? I keep a not, list. But it's not listed anywhere on your Mac. It should be. It should. Uh, there should. It's and there, so frustrating. 
there are I have seen apps that will kind of like try to read all of your global defaults and find all of them for you, but none that have been reliable. Like I keep a manual list of yeah my shortcuts. But don't you think that that would be an absolute like um, no brainer feature? That yeah, it's like, it should oh, be built into the here's all the system. keyboard setups that 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 because otherwise the conflicts happen mm-hmm. all the time and there's no way to know wh- why. Yep. Okay. Or- or, or all of a sudden you're typing in a program and you hit what you thought was like, right. say, you know, option semicolon to make your ellipsis and it does something completely different and you can't remember why or how to stop it from doing it. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So I'm not crazy. That's not just what all. I want you to know about that. Then, um, no, I'm not going to ask. That. Okay. That's all. 42. <laughs> Wait, one more thing. Yes. What... Here's let's talk about photos for two seconds. Okay. Cause I have, you know, like anyone, thousands of photos from over the years. I, I am done with iPhoto. I can't do it anymore. I hate it. I find it slow, clunky, crappy. Okay. So I've, I am now just putting my photos. I'm, I'm auto uploading, up, auto uploading them to Dropbox using the Dropbox yep. app on my phone. And then just putting any photos in that same folder and then just putting them in folders in the finder by month until I find something better or until somebody invents something that makes more sense to me than that. Cause <laughs> I can't, I don't know what to do. I'm doing the exact same thing. Interesting. I, uh, I use, um, if I'm out with, you know, like a good camera and I'm doing a, a, a shoot where I'm taking Dozens of shots of the exact same thing. Yeah, I'll use uh, Aperture to sort and kind of. Apparently, my wife's home. There's a uh, raining Hi, uh, dog toenails on the ceiling right now. <laughs> um, but I'll use Aperture to kind of, to sort and collect various shots. But if I'm out, you know, with uh, with my wife around uh, around town or headed for a destination, and I'm just shooting snapshots. Right now, those are like I have it set up so when I connect my phone, Dropbox just automatically pulls my photos yeah. into the Dropbox folder, and it's I can sort those into folders, subfolders as needed. I can use tags dot app to to add like any metadata that I really need to. Now wait a minute, tags dot app. Yeah, what? <laughs> That's actually because, it's it's okay. going to be a pick of the week, so I'll tell you more about it in a minute. All right, okay, okay, I'll wait. Um, but. Uh, but I can, I can add the metadata I need. And then I use Flickr for those gems that I really want to like have on my Apple TV that I want to be able to share on Twitter that I want to be able Mm -hmm. to quickly remember. I just upload to Flickr and Flickr has an API that makes it really easy for me to back up photo Flickr photos. Yeah. So I don't, I don't worry about, you know, putting them into someplace. I can't get them back. I just regularly back up my Flickr account. Problem with that though, what I've had with Flickr is I don't want my photos to be seen by anybody, but I do want them to be seen by some people, and it they, they make that sort of convoluted. I well, think. there are privacy settings. You can have things only visible to people you've right, but you've marked I, as friends or family. I just want to give somebody a, like a Dropbox link and say, "Here's the photo," 
instead of having to be like now, because when I do that on Flickr, they're like, oh, they're asking me to sign into Flickr now. Well, sure. And if you just want to share it with, you know, like one person or a group of collaborators, yeah. I think Dropbox is more ideal than Flickr. Yeah. Huh. The Dropbox link makes sense to me. So right now, okay, I'm just going to stick with Dropbox in the Finder for the moment. Have you seen, I, I you probably not, but I created a, uh, a service for Mac that uh, you can just highlight a bunch of files in the Finder and then click Create Dropbox Collection, mm. and it'll create a web page in your Dropbox and give you the public link for it. And on that page will be a list of links to every file you just highlighted. And then you can click one button and open them all in tabs in your browser. Like that's really handy when you're sharing like a concept or idea with just a small group of people. Yes. That's just amazing. All right. Just keep, you keep doing it. That's it's, it's all I do. Like you, you, some people watch TV when they want to unwind. I write that (laughs) stuff. Um, I teach myself card tricks. Hey, that works. Um, that's okay. That's awesome. All right. You got your answers. Yes. Or at least enough for now. 35. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, I appreciate it. Okay, top three picks. Do you want to go first or second? You go first. Okay. My first pick this week is an app called Scratch on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of apps that are great for just uh, quick one-off notes. But Scratch, um, I've just been playing with. And what it does is let me like instantly pops up to an edit screen where I can just start typing a note. And then what I like about it is it has an append to Dropbox file send to. So I can hit the little arrow and I can have the, I have the option to uh, email it, send it as a SMS or a message, an iMessage, a tweet, append to a Dropbox file or create a new Dropbox file. So I use the append to Dropbox file and Every time I choose a Dropbox file to append to, it adds it to a shortcut list. So in the future, I can just keep appending to the same note. Oh, now I I was going to ask you, how is this different from drafts? Right. Well, it's not that much different. It's a simplified version of drafts, but I've already mentioned drafts. So, But but it has the append to Dropbox file that, and you can choose which file. Yes. Okay. You can so choose that, the file. So you yeah. could have your, your text file that you've been collecting ideas in for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And other than the fact that yours goes uh, in reverse chronological order. Which was only maybe a no longer necessary. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's text, so you can always sort it later. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this would let you have a quick shortcut. So in two taps, you'd have it appended to that file and then you can erase the screen and that note goes into a history so you can see your recent notes. But meanwhile, it's already shown up in your NV alt, you know, note on your Mac and it's good to go. That's interesting. Now, all of these things like scratch and drafts are just a little bit of a time saver. You're, you're doing the same thing that you could do just by opening up your notes or whatever on your phone. Yes. But it's just it, it's saving some steps. Like for me, for me, like I'm never too far away from my Air or my iPad. And the only reason that I would use my iPhone to collect notes is because it's handy immediately. Right. And if I have to do any amount of work that would be more complex than getting out a pencil and paper and just scratching something down, yeah. then the the app is already it, it, like it's defeated the purpose of, of doing it. 
You sold um, me. You just yeah. sold me right there. So I need two taps, type, and done. And I need it to be where I where I want it at that point. That's the only way that note taking on an iPhone is useful to me. Love it. Love it. Your turn. Although I do have some major issues with this uh, with iOS lately, which I know a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> my first one is Final Cut Pro 10, which is something that uh, I hated when it first came out. And I still have a lot of questions about, but I, they've become more questions versus full-on complaints. And, um, you know, Final Cut Pro is the Mac video editing solution that became pretty much the de facto best um, software, in my opinion, for years and years. And then they kind of, they stopped updating it and then they replaced it with the brand new one, which um, has been very controversial. Because is that the so- Express? No, it's Final Cut Pro 10. That's oh, okay. What, that's what they were. They, they, they had Final Cut Pro 7 and then it just stopped. Like there was, everyone's like, when are they going to update it? When are they going to update it? And there was, there was like radio silence for a long time. And then finally they came out with this brand new thing, Final Cut Pro 10, which is totally reinvented from the ground up, has nothing to do with the previous software and has nothing to do with any editing software that's ever existed. And um, not to get too into details, but basically it's just, it, it changes the whole metaphor of what editing is for uh, on video editing. And by doing that, it really turned off most professional editors in many cases for good reason, because why should they learn something from totally from scratch in their daily profession? Who's got even time for that? But all that aside, um, getting the new computer, the this MacBook pro. And then as the software has improved over the last year, since it's been out, I'm incredibly impressed and increasingly more curious. And I've started using it on small projects. And um, I think if you do video editing and you, uh, have dismissed Final Cut Pro 10, it might be time to take another look at it, especially if you have a decent machine to run it. I, yeah, I, I got out of a point where I needed to ever edit video beyond what iMovie could do. Um, yeah, and you're fine. So I missed this whole, like, this this controversy that, that happened. I saw it happen, but I didn't experience it. Yeah. But, yeah, if you say, if you're telling me that Final Cut Pro 10 is you know, like, uh, usable, salvageable, workable. Well, it's, it's, it is that, but the whole way that it works is actually once, once it becomes, I would say very soon, it'll become that kind of thing where so much of how it works, you wonder why we haven't done it this way always. So you realize it points out by using it, you realize how much time is wasted on every other editing system because Things that you didn't even realize were multiple unnecessary steps are pointed out by being eliminated in this one. So it could become the de facto standard again? It could, but it might take a generation because it really involves forgetting everything you know. So it, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm curious to see how it works in the marketplace, but I can tell you for myself, it's pretty cool. Is, is it at all similar to like when uh, – have you ever helped anyone transition from Windows to Mac? Yes. And that whole, like, they expect a certain layer of complexity and the idea that they can just drag something somewhere and it just does what they think it'll do is kind of a foreign concept. It is something like that. Yes, I think it's a good comparison. It's also like transitioning from, like, charcoal on a wall to a word processor. 
<laughs> in some ways it's because you're just like, Oh, it's a totally different thing. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Awesome. Um, I'll go What's your number two, Brett. My number two is, uh, the just released amp kit for Mac. Um, I, do you play guitar at all? I do. Do you, do you play electric? I'm a white guy. Of course I play guitar. <laughs> oh. I do. I just, I recently bought a, uh, a really amazing electric guitar, which is a uh, an old it's it's a it's a amazing copy of an old uh, Fender from the sixties. Nice. I'm working on getting a, a nice hollow body right now, hollow body electric. But mm. but you want this, believe me. Uh, for fifty bucks, uh, Amp Kit has put in. I, I I don't know if you've ever used the iOS versions, but it was uh, it, it's it's an effects pedal basically like simulator that had uh you buy each set of pedals in each cab and everything for it individually and it adds up uh still way cheaper than buying the actual equipment was that what it was it called something else i had the one that you was you put in the irig and it was called well there's amplitude and there's amplitude yeah so this is like a a competitor yeah this is a competitor to amplitude um and their mac version comes with all of the pedals all of the stacks and Ooh. you can create, I honestly, I, I can't imagine you'd ever run out of possibilities for creating sounds. Like you can pick your, your, um, your head and you can pick your speaker and then you can tweak every setting on it. And then right. you can stack up, you know, 15 different pedals if you want to and tweak every setting on those until you get the exact sound you're looking for. And then with something like Soundflower, you can pipe that right into logic or garage band and at that point, if you have like a, a any kind of audio interface on your computer, you just jack a guitar in and just make music. But do they have preset combinations? Oh, of yeah. sound? There's that, a ton of presets. Me, that's, that's overwhelming what you just said. But if they said now it can sound like Eddie Van Halen. I'd yes. Be. Yeah. I don't there, there are there are presets for a lot of uh, classic guitar sounds. Right. Um, and uh, there's built in recording. Uh, you can, it's got built in backing tracks and you can, uh, you can record and it records to the clean signal. So you can reamp stuff after you're recording. Oh my God. Yeah. It's pretty hot for, um, for the record. You are now two for two with me. <laughs> my goal. <laughs> uh, two out of three even would, would be satisfactory to me. Okay. All right. But I'll get you with the next one too. All right. So what else you got? Um, all right. So. Well, I guess number two, I was going to talk more about this uh, Highland and Fountain uh, situation. Um, the, the Highland is in beta now. Um, am I allowed to talk about that? I, I Unless you know otherwise. No, I don't think. I think it's very public. Um, but And I don't know much about it, but I know that John August, who I'm a big admirer of, uh, is a screenwriter. Who, and then, do you work with him? Is this your partner? Are you like No, I've worked on Fountain. I haven't been a part of Highland yet. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, you know, Highland and Fountain are streets that cross each other here yes. in Los Angeles. But uh, so <laughs> No, wait, wait, wait. I was thinking metaphorically, but if you mean in reality, I didn't in reality, know that. They do, yes. It's a, it's, there's an intersection. Um, but uh, so Fountain is the, 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 the new language, the, the markdown for screenplay writing, basically. And then Highland is this app, which base, which amazingly does something that has never been has, has been a need for so long and never been able to do, which is if you receive a screenplay in PDF format, it can then reverse engineer it back into 
Highland uh, Fountain format, which means basically text format, which can then be converted into Final Draft or RTF or plain text, or Google Docs, whatever you need. And it's an amazing thing. And in fact, one of the things I do is people send me a PDF of their screenplay. I then use Highland to turn it into text. And then I turn the text into spoken speech. And then I listen to things that I have to read um, in the car or, in, or when I'm running. That's awesome. Um, it's pretty great. Uh, so that's, um, that's Highland is just in beta and they're just starting to figure out all the things they can do with it. But if you're a, a guy who's needed uh, more possibilities with what you can do with screenplay format, then this is, uh, this is your thing. Do you know you if can, that's a public beta? Will people I do, be able yeah, to I think it, it is. I think if you go to johnaugust.com and he'll read, he'll inform you on the latest developments with both Highland and Fountain. That's so. awesome. I'll be sure to link it. Yeah. All right. Um, he also has a good podcast about screenwriting. What's it called? It's called My Yo Mama. I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> but I am I, I am a subscriber and listener. <laughs> I forget that stuff every episode. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So my number three yeah, is, as previously mentioned, tags.app. Yes, I'm very um, curious. And tags was, I hadn't mentioned it heavily because I wasn't sure it was being uh, kept up. I love the guys from Case Apps. They've always done a really good job, but it had kind of sat uh, stagnant for a little bit. But it recently, I think today or yesterday, received a bug fix update and brought it up to date with all the other apps. So what it is, is a system-wide hotkey pop-up that you can use uh, on just about any kind of file. And you can use it in iPhoto, you can use it in Finder, you can use it in uh, on the web, you know, like on any web page. And you just hit your hotkey and it pops up a little HUD and you can type in tags. Like you can just your own, so you whatever you're tag tagging. any file. Yeah. And then you can say, oh, show me all the files with this tag. Right. And then it has a search bar that looks a lot like Spotlight and you bring it up with another hotkey and you just type in, uh, say, a tag or um, or even a keyword, and it'll include Spotlight-type search with your results. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so like say you took a trip uh, to the Bahamas, and you just started tagging related things with Bahamas, like your travel itinerary, uh, PDF, and then a web page about uh, uh, attractions in the area, and then photos as you go. And then at the end, you can just type Bahamas into the... Uh, search window and see all of that as if it were in one folder. Um, so this is sort of an alternate to actually just putting all that in one folder. Exactly. Because uh-huh. now you can have multiple tags and right. you could, you could add a secondary tag that was snapshots. And then you right. could see all of your snapshots that were also tagged Bahamas and it would just show you those photos. Interesting. Now, so, so it is this, a this is a potential use. Like if you wanted to just for photos, and then, but is the, are the tags readable by other things, or is it just a so proprietary tags thing? It's it's it uses the open meta standard, mm-hmm. and open meta tags. Uh, they actually open meta was invented right around the same time the first tags was released, mm-hmm. um, and tags adopted the format. And what it is is I hate it when I say is is. Uh, you know what I really hate is was is what it was is. Um, but what it does is put a, uh, uh, it's a spotlight attribute. It's an extended attribute on the file 
that is readable by like open meta can be read by leap by fresh by uh, tags and by uh, the command line tool. And there's a, there's a bunch of other apps that can all use this standard and it does it, it will copy over Dropbox like it's preserved. So you can read it on Uh multiple machines. iOS cannot read it though. But what about um, like Picasa or uh, other photo? Well, see, the thing that it can do is all of those tags can be translated. So if you have an app like NVAlt, for example, tags in Mm NVAlt, if you store your files as text files on your disk, all your NVAlt tags are also written as open meta tags to your files. Which can okay. also, you can search them in like tags or even spotlight. You could type tag colon and then the name of a, an NVL tag. Right. And it'll find those notes for you. Um, I love that. And all of these open meta tags can be searched that way from spotlight itself. So you can create smart folders and everything for them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, really like with Picasa or whatever, if you have a way to add tags to something in Picasa, it's easy to read these open meta tags in and then output them in any other proprietary format. Interesting. That would take a little bit of scripting, a little bit of hacking, but you could make it work with just about anything that allowed you to add tags externally. Um, I'm, I am sold at least enough to check that one out. Yeah, I'd take a look. Now, but here's... Okay. I It, it just reminded me, because you mentioned NVL, of a totally unrelated question. Is it is it okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, your software marked. You remember that? I yeah, 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 yeah. Am I miss the simple way to open a file that I'm currently working on in NVAlt in marked? You have not missed it. There are bizarre scripting hacks that will allow it, but my, the problem that arose was NVAlt doesn't offer any way to expose its currently edited file. Who wrote that crap? I know, I know. <laughs> but in the next version of Mark that that I can actually, um, I, I'll get you a beta copy. Don't tell anyone. Uh, yeah, keep that really top <laughs> secret. Um, but I have it set up so that you can drop a folder onto Mark, uh-huh. say your NVL notes folder. Sure. And it will always show you whatever's most currently being edited. So there's your answer right there. Yeah, that was that was my my solution to the problem because it also say you're working on like a folder of chapters for a book or a screenplay. Right. It also makes it so you don't have to create index files to to update everything at once. It'll right. just track whatever file you're editing and show you the preview of that section. That is a great idea. Thank you. Um and I'm glad I'm, I wasn't crazy and missing some obvious feature. No, I, there's an Apple script that like uses system events to go in and figure out what the title of the note is in the toolbar or in the URL bar and then find that file on disk. And it's so inconvenient and so sketchy that I don't recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Your turn. Oh, I've still got one more. You do. Okay. Number three is not an app. Uh, It's a DVD set, which is Steve Martin, who is probably my biggest hero and influence in comedy, certainly growing up along with Woody Allen, uh, released all of his old TV work, basically all of his TV work, which is um, all his appearances on Letterman and the Tonight Show and Saturday Night Live and 
and then in particular, all the specials he did for NBC and these spe- and for HBO and Showtime. And these specials are in particular the thing that basically formed everything that I am because I had them on ninth generation Betamax tapes growing up and they were the only tapes I had. And so ages 10, 11, 12, 13, all I did was watch these over and over and over and over again, countless times. So now they're all on DVD and they have some commentary that he's done and you can actually get to see see them all together. And it's just amazing to see. And I mean, I'm curious to know what people think who aren't my age or didn't grow up watching them like that, but they're absolutely fascinating. And if you only know Steve Martin from his last 25 years, then you don't know anything (laughs) about Steve Martin. (laughs) So you and can so, finally sell your uh, your beta deck, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I did the beta deck is long gone, but I'm so curious when I can get rid of my cassette deck and <laughs> and my hi eight deck. <laughs> Not yet. I uh and uh, it's we'll get back to C Martin in a second, but um I uh, I converted all my hi eight stuff to digital format by projecting it on a screen mm. and <laughs> recording it. There you it go. Was, it actually it came out. We'll call it not horrible. Okay. Not great though. Well, I know that most of the hi eight that I've ever pulled out, uh, it doesn't even play. It's all filled with dropouts now. Yeah. It just wasn't a format, and the same with the VHS. It just wasn't a format designed to last, and it wasn't made on tape. You know, plastic tape that was designed to last. Right. So, the medium so real, itself was time limited. Is a real shame. And so, yeah, a lot of my very amazing, you know, I'm, I've been making little videos since I'm 10 years old or eight years old. And uh, I actually transferred some of it over to digital at various points along the way, but a lot of it's lost. Yeah. I, I saved a bunch of Super 8 that way too with the projecting and recording. I did too. I have a lot of Super 8 projected. And that's another just like horrible. <laughs> When I was, you know, probably in like 1983 or something, I took all these Super 8 films, my whole family, and um, these amazing Super 8, they're just great, great movies that, you know, or things that we shot over the years, and transferred them to VHS tapes. And I was like, oh, got them on tape now, I can toss out those films. (laughs) (laughs) So now I have these pretty much utterly useless VHS tapes of these of these movies when I, and if I had the actual high eight reels, they would look amazing. Like you could, you could color correct them right now and they would look like they were just shot yesterday. I think a lot of people made that mistake when DVDs first came out, but those first DVDs yes. uh, oh, yeah. started flaking and, uh, and splitting pretty quickly within well, 10 I, years. I also made the mistake of um, taking a giant box of photos and having them all scanned at like, you know, 240 pixels or something. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, great. I got them. They're perfect. I can throw out all the photos. And, and I found um, actually some negatives of some of the same photos just recently. And I sent those in to get scanned and sent back to me. And I was like, oh, you know, it's amazing to see these things as if they were just shot today. Yeah. So anyway, is uh, sorry. Steve, Steve Martin's old stuff. Steve uh, Martin's old stuff. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how much I've seen. Like, I, I guess my first experience with Steve Martin would have been the jerk. Right. Well, a lot of this is pre the jerk or around that time, but you know, it, it, it's all around the time when he was the biggest 
entertainer in the country. I mean, he sure. was filling up stadiums when like, and arenas in an unprecedented way. And it, the specials are a combination of his stand-up and his and sketches that he would shoot. It was very similar to, I mean, what I would end up doing, which is no coincidence. Um, and it's just great. It's just amazing. I mean, you you, you don't have to be a, a comedy aficionado. It's just really entertaining, funny stuff. I will definitely check that out. I always get a new perspective, especially on comedians watching old HBO specials and television appearances. Oh my God. And there's so much of, uh, I wish that HBO.com would just have an archive that you could go to find all, you know, easily pull up any of those specials. Don't they? Maybe they do. I don't, <laughs> I've, well, see, I've, I often, know. I've often said, if I just wish that blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, well they do. Well, I know HBO has like, uh, on, if you subscribe to the cable version of HBO, you can get access to like their full archive. But I thought it's just an archive of like recent stuff. And that may be because I don't have cable. And as 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 willing as I would be to pay for just the archive access, they do not offer the option. I see. And that's highly annoying to me because I would pay, you know, the equivalent cost, but I'm not paying $80 a month for channels. Hopefully they'll untangle all that soon and you'll just you you can buy what you want. Hopefully they'll catch up with. The modern reality. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to do our third sponsor and then we will, we will wrap. I love it. All right. So next up is SourceBits, a mobile app development house that helps you develop and design your next application or game. It I inst- just, I, I'm sorry. I no, have to interrupt go ahead. before you jump in. I think as far as mobile app development companies go, SourceBits is the best. All right, Absolutely. Keep Hands down. Keep going. <laughs> it instantly puts over 300 dedicated programmers and interface designers behind your project full time. They stand behind the idea that when you focus on brilliant design, your product becomes your marketing and your customers become your advertising. And I, I believe David Wayne would be a, an example of that. Right. Right iPhone, iPad, Android, BlackBerry, Facebook, and the web are just a few of the platforms on which your engineers will work with you to create feature-rich, rock-solid applications that generate incredible user loyalty. Brett, it might be easier to just list whatever platforms these guys don't deal with. (laughs) seem to deal with them all. Super 8. Yes. They refuse, I, I ask. Um, SourceBits has developed more than 500 applications for multiple mobile, web, and desktop platforms, with 20 reaching the top 10 in global application marketplaces. They understand how to apply brilliant design to turn your idea into a successful app. SourceBits helps build your application by starting with an end-to-end product strategy. End-to-end is always the best way to do a product strategy, too. Their engineers and designers can take your apps from a sketch on a napkin to a fully deployed, functioning, and successful live product. SourceBits reduces your costs and gets your product to market quicker with highly efficient, agile product development processes, which they've fine-tuned over years of interactions with clients. Your project will be managed every step of the way by a dedicated project partner who can tap multiple design and development centers all over the world. Join forces with SourceBits and bring your consumer app vision to reality today by visiting sourcebits.com. <sighs> uh, I'm, I just, 
I'm speechless. I loved everything that was just said. It, it, it had a intrinsic beauty. Now here's something interesting. I've downloaded since we've been talking that scratch app. Yeah. When you want to um, append to a Dropbox file, it doesn't, it only shows them when you open and I open up my big end, the alt notes, it only shows them alphabetically. Yeah. That's, it's a pain. Uh, that's why I like the shortcut feature. Once you pick the note, it'll show up uh, uh, on that first page without you having to go through your folder at all. Perfect. And then I'm good. So you kind of, you kind of, you search for it once and then it bookmarks yep. it. Okay. I accept that. <laughs> okay. So this has been uh, episode 20 with David Wayne and he can be found at davidwayne.com. It's W A I N. W A I N. Also at, uh, at David Wayne. Spelled yes. the same way. Yes. And if you're curious about the full scope of David Wayne's work, uh, I will link the IMDb and Wikipedia pages and you will understand why I could not possibly list it all in this podcast or we wouldn't have had time to talk at all. I think it's awesome that we've talked for an hour and basically not talked about any of my work, which I find really awesome. We can if you want to. But I'd rather we not. Are, we are. No, I'm still. No, I, that's, I, I think about my work all day long. It's great, great. Awesome. Uh, I, I will link it, though, and, uh, and people will be duly impressed with your, uh, your drive and scope. Um, impressed is good, but if they could send money, that's even better. What, you, you're a millionaire. Just PayPal. Five, <laughs> give me PayPal me like 50 bucks if you really like what you see. I will. Uh, be uh, part it, of the Dave Wayne Club. I'll throw your email address in there, too, so they know who to PayPal. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being here today. It's been my honor. Thank you, Brett. No problem. Um, we will see everybody again in a week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.